0: Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura, and today we are going to talk about whether or not Boaz, as the kinsman redeemer in the book of Ruth, is a symbol of patriarchal oppression. Yes, I had fun coming up with that title. Let's begin by placing the book of Ruth in the timeline of history. In the beginning of the book of Ruth, it states that it's in the time of Judges, and if you look at the genealogy, you can see that by that it really is in the middle of the book of Judges. So just to take you backwards a little bit first, Boaz is the son of Rahab and Salmon, and Salmon is the son of Nashon. So Nashon, according to Numbers chapter 1, verse 7, is one of the princes of the tribes of Judah who helps with the census of the first generation to come out of Egypt. So he's one of those who died in the wilderness. And then his son Salmon is of the first generation to enter Canaan. And as I said, apparently Mary Rahab Uh, specifically a reference is Matthew 1, verse 5. In the book of Ruth, Boaz is presented as being notably older than Ruth, and specifically you can look at Ruth chapter 4, verse 10. And of course, their son is Obed, who is the father of Jesse, who is the father of King David, but it's helpful to keep in mind that King David is the youngest of eight sons, so you have six men from the time that the children of Israel left Egypt until King David, and Boaz and Ruth are pretty much right in the middle of that. Now, the book of Ruth shows several laws in action. So one of the things that this story does is shows how these laws affected people in real life. First of all, you have the law of gleaning, which you could read about in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, and Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. And in there, the Israelites are only supposed to go over their field once to harvest, and they're not supposed to harvest in the corners, and the rest is supposed to be left for the poor to help get some food for the season. Then you have the laws about a brother providing offspring if his brother's wife is barren and his brother dies. In theological circles, for some reason, this is often referred to as the Leverite marriage, it has nothing to do with the tribe of Levi. It comes from a Latin word meaning levir, which means a husband's brother. But you can specifically read about this as the law in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10. But it also comes up in the examples of Tamar with Judah, and is the law that the Sadducees try to stump Jesus with when they talk about the woman who ends up married to seven brothers and then dying childless. And then we also, in Ruth, have reference to the laws regarding a near kinsman. The role of the near kinsman is specifically mentioned in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 25, talking about um, if a poor brother um, sold his property because he was in debt or needed the money for some reason, then a near kinsman was supposed to redeem or buy back the land that this poor brother had sold. So that is half of what is happening in the book of Ruth. And the other half is, of course, the marriage part that we already talked about. But there are some other interesting ways that the idea of the near kinsman comes up. In Numbers chapter 5, verse 8, it talks about restitution going to a near kinsman, in the case that it can't be given directly to the person. And in Numbers 27.11, the inheritance of land going to a near kinsman, if there are no daughters, and that's referring to the story of the daughters of Zelophehad. And then you have a couple of instances in the New Testament uh, one is in John chapter 18, verse 26, where Peter cuts off the ear of the kinsman of the priest, and Romans 16, 11, where Paul greets his kinsman Herodian in the letter. So you can see it's just used as a general term, meaning pretty closely related. And so, as we see in the story of Ruth, some people are nearer kinsmen than others. So getting back to the question asked in the title of this episode, Is the kinsman redeemer Boaz a symbol of patriarchal oppression? That's like asking if God's law is just capricious and mean-spirited authority. If you don't know him, then you might be tempted by your own distorted perspective and by the fact that you don't understand him or are rebelling against him to think that the answer is yes. But when you know him and you see the fullness of his word, the answer is no. But let me explain more. First of all, someone might wonder, why couldn't Ruth just get a job? Well, their culture, their nation had a land-based economy, and wealth was passed from father to son via the land, except for the instances that we talked about, like the daughters of Zeliphahad. had. So Ruth was basically working for her welfare and possibly other opportunities might have come up, but she's still really new in town and destitute, and she is working hard to get her food. There are biblical examples of women working, everything from Deborah being a judge in the Book of Judges, I don't know if she got paid, but she was working, and Lydia being the seller of purple in the New Testament. And Ruth was resourceful and hardworking, and she was also humble enough to listen to guidance and accept help. Plus. God chose to include her in David's and hence Jesus's lineage because of these qualities. And don't forget that marriage is an honorable part and an original perfect design for men and women. So she is not less because she got married. Now, at this point, it seems reasonable to talk a little bit about the role of women. And I don't claim this is going to be an exhaustive discussion of this, but I think it will cover a lot of important main points. According to Genesis, woman was made for man, but man was incomplete without her. She's different from man, but she's not inferior. She's equal in value, but not in function. In the marriage, a woman is meant to be an ever-present picture of the church whom Christ dearly loves and sacrifices for. A woman is uniquely able to bear life, to give birth, but not without a man. It's kind of the final answer to all of the gender discussions that no matter how many hormones you take or weird surgeries you have, no man's body will just all by itself make ovaries and eggs, and no woman's body all by itself will make sperm. But the bodies just left the way that God designed them will do that quite naturally. Both the woman and the man were in God's presence in the garden, and both are equally redeemed through Christ. The fact is that the perfection of the relationship that a man and woman are supposed to have in marriage is marred by the fallen nature of man and the curse on the world. So it can be hard for us to separate in our minds the abuse of authority or headship from the way it was designed to be. But if we look at Jesus as a man and his relationship to Father God, I think we can get a better picture of that. Jesus submitted himself to the Father, and yet was fully God incarnate. He was not less, and he did mighty and amazing things to show the nature of God the Father and to work out his own role as the Son. Another way to think about the differences in the roles of men and women, and here I'm not talking about cultural differences, but obvious differences in design and, as we said, headship in the biblical sense in marriage— are to consider the fact that God chose Israel—you can read about that specifically in Romans 9—he chose the nation of Israel to bring the law and to be the lineage of the Redeemer. But that doesn't mean that he didn't choose the Gentiles to also be saved. And in fact, that's part of the emphasis of the whole chapter there, is that in spite of Israel having that specific role, the Gentiles were all chosen, they were all called as well, and could choose to respond to that, which brings us to an interesting point about Ruth. The way that Naomi instructs Ruth to go about things is actually a working out of how the law is presented. It was the woman who asked for the law to be applied to her. The kinsman redeemer was there to do the job, but Ruth had to ask him. She had to say, here I am. But then That's all she had to do. After that, Boaz did everything else. I think you can also just see from the tone of the story that there is nothing about this where Ruth feels oppressed. She feels loved and taken care of. To say that someone is oppressed because another person has the ability and the resources to take care of them is surely a twisting of that idea. So I read a few different articles in preparing for this, and I will put links to most of those on the website. Thanks for listening. See you next time. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey.